Now, you can make this a prayer for yourself if you do it right. It's a good prayer. There's two main prayers in Ephesians in the book. And we know when we ask anything according to God's will, He hears us. How many of you guys know that God doesn't listen to every one of your prayers? (laughs) Some of you are like, what? Yes. Elijah prayed, Lord, I want to die. How many of you guys glad God didn't answer that one for him? Yeah. Some of you felt that way. Some of you sitting here today have felt, I just want to die. God, just kill me. Take me out. Maybe a little bit too much to drink, and you thought you could put your fist up to God, and he said, well, if you're really there, kill me. That's a good thing he didn't answer you, yeah? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're still breathing. I've been there. i got a bullet hole in my side. I understand. But God doesn't listen to all your prayers the way we think. Does it mean he doesn't, isn't aware of what you're praying? He is aware of what you're praying. But he's not listening in such a way that he intends on answering what you're requesting. Yeah, yeah that's safety for us. This, I know I'm sidetracking. I don't know why, but there must be something in this. Some years ago, a friend of mine was really in need. So I set my face to really pray for him, for the finances that he needed. And I started to pray for a million dollars for him. You think, whoa, would God answer that? Why not? Why not? How big is he? Can God handle it? Yeah. yeah. So I was really, and I really felt as though, um, you know when you're praying, sometimes you feel like you're making ground? <laughs> I really did it. And the Lord challenged me. He said, wait, if I gave him a million pounds, a million dollars, I was living in the U.S. at the time, if I gave him a million dollars, what if it destroys his life? What if he runs off with a younger woman because now he's got money? Gets a yacht, decides to sail around the world. And I was like, oh. I said, Lord, I never thought of that. Whose wisdom do you think is better? Okay. So sometimes we want an answer to prayer. We want to pray for something. We want the answer the way it is. And if we got it, it wouldn't bring the effect that we're hoping for. And I said, whoa, Lord. And I said... Because I really did feel if I kept praying for that, I was gonna, it, it was going to get answered. I, I don't know how else to explain it to you. And I changed. I said, Lord, I said, I'd give him a million dollars, but not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I don't want to destroy someone's life by a blessing. That'd be crazy. So when we pray according to God's will... In other words, there's things, I'm just, there's, there's different things. The scripture tells us much about the will of God. And if there, a prayer is in the Bible, then you know you can use it and you can pray it with confidence knowing that God's going to answer it. Why? Because he wrote it down for you to quote it. So going to God and reminding him, God, you said... <laughs> he's not going to go, well, yeah, I understand. Sometimes as dads, we make promises to the kids. Sometimes moms, in the heat of the moment or whatever's going on, and they say, can we do this? And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, just get away from me. And we make promises, and then when they come back and said, you promised, we get offended. We get upset, because it's an intrusion as to what we're doing. God never reacts that way. He never responds that way. When we go to him and said, you promised right here, Lord. He... If I could say it this way, he joys in that because he knows you believe what he said. 
Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. So when you diligently seek him, say, Lord, you said you would. This is the way you are. You keep your promises. He doesn't, he doesn't go, well, leave me alone, kid. He's not like that. And he's not like a man that he should lie or change his mind. So here's a prayer for you. You could make this. This is a powerful one. I'm going to read from Ephesians 3. I'm going to begin with, let's see, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It tells you his posture, doesn't he? Paul's serious about this. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that's a lot. That's a lot. How much does God own? Everything. How glorious is he? <laughs> we can't measure it. It says, according to the abundance of your own person, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, to understand that which is so massive that there's no way to understand it, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints together what is the width and length, height or depth and height, to know personally the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be what? Read it for yourself. Filled with what? All the fullness of God. Now, don't read that too quickly. God's desire. God inspired Paul by his spirit to write this down, to pray this for the church in Ephesus and for us. Because it's not just Paul to Ephesus, this is God to us through his word. God's desire for you and for me is to be filled with all his fullness. Like, is that possible? Well, what's impossible with men <laughs> is what? Possible with God. You think, well, how could you do it? By strengthening you and in your inner man, by his spirit, giving you a revelation of, of the love of Christ, which goes beyond height, depth, width, and length. That's four-dimensional. We only exist in three dimensions. But his love exists in a whole lot more. For you to know it for yourself. I'm really loved. See, when we know we're loved and God's committed to your well-being, when he's, you know it, I'm assured that he's actually committed to what's best for my life. There's two things that can happen for you. One, I don't have to have my way. Because I know his is better. If I have my way, I want it done this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your path. 
Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. When I know that he has my best interest at heart because he loves me, I know when he says don't, he means what? It means they're for my good, not for my destruction. When he says go there, what do I know? Why? Because it's the best. It's the best. In the wisdom of God, do you think he knows what he's doing? <laughs> you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. When I know and I'm assured of that he loves me, I think Todd White was the one I saw him do it, I think, first. And, you know, when you see the old movies with, uh, with uh, the boy and he's got the daisy, she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. I like the way Todd White does it. He goes, he loves me, <laughs> he loves me, <laughs> he loves me. When you know that he loves you unreservedly, he loves you fully, height and depth and width and length. Something happens to your heart. You actually stop fighting for what you want and you can rest in the love of Christ. It also happens that he can bring correction and discipline. See, I need to step back. When we say, how do I know he loves me? How do I know he loves me entirely? Pastor Wade, you're saying he loves me like this, height, depth, width, length. How can I know? I've not experienced it. I've not had a feeling in my heart. Um, I've had a lot of bad things happen to me. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. The one place that's sealed into history where the love of God was demonstrated for you in fullness is when Jesus was placed on that cross and the Holy One of Israel suffered in your stead. I, I struggled with this, to be honest. Growing up, I know people say they love you, but they're like, well... I love you. Whap. This is for your good. It's going to hurt me a whole lot more than this. <laughs> and so sometimes you find this constant rejection and you people talk about love and then you think it's lust. You think it's just a, it's a, a pleasureful moment that that's what love is. It comes, it goes. It's a feeling. You fall into it and fall out of it. How do I know that I'm loved? And, and I, I, I actually, I asked God, I said, why do you love me? Why? And the more I studied the Bible, the more I looked inside myself and I thought, I am not lovable. I am not like I should be. I'm not, I, I'm not good. There's no one good, not one. I'm not righteous. I, I'm a sinner. Oh, and I've been a bad sinner. Why, why, God, why should you love me? 
Why would, why can I expect that you'd be kind to me? Why, why God? And, and how do I know for sure that your love won't change? How do I know that today you'll say I love you and then tomorrow <coughs> you'll send me to hell? And I'm telling you, there are people in churches who teach this kind of stuff. It's, it's horrendous. Yeah. It's a doctrine of demons. Yeah. Where people say, well, yeah, um, Jesus loves you today, but if you're not good enough, tomorrow we'll send you to hell. And I went through this, and I went through it for probably about 18 months, maybe a bit longer. And I sought God. And I argued with God. And I got angry at God. And you think, how can I be angry with God? I'm a little smudge. <laughs> and he's like massive, and he could just go squish. I remember one experience that I had where a friend of mine came and said, wait, you're angry with God. And I said, no, I can't be angry with God. He's big, I'm small, and that was my perspective. He'll go squish. I want you to think about that. That was my perspective. <laughs> but unless I had everything right, he would go squish. Could he? Oh, oh yeah. I remember I went into my room I hadn't been a Christian long, and I closed my door, and I got on my knees. I think it was about 11 o'clock at night, because I remember looking at the clock. And, and I said, Lord, so-and-so said that I'm angry with you. And as soon as those words came out of my, my mouth, I began to weep. I mean, like, snot heaving, weeping. I didn't understand all that was going on inside. And then the Lord spoke to me, he says, wait, I'm not like your human father. I'm your perfect heavenly father. Some of us, me and our dads, they, they blew it. Some of them, they did the best they could with what they had, but it wasn't what we needed and... And even when the dads, they did the greatest job, there was still lack. <laughs> because no man's like God. No man can live up to that standard. <laughs> and God's not like a man. <laughs> He's totally separate. So I didn't have to be bound by the affection or the lack thereof or my perception and somehow take that and place that like my dad and place it on God and think, God, you love me like my dad. Now I can say this, I love my dad. There's no unforgiveness in my heart towards my dad at all. I've gone, I see him, I've wrapped my arms around him and tell him that I love him. It's not, and I don't need anything from him in that way because I have a perfect heavenly father and the one day i remember as i was still arguing with god well the, i understand you love me but why <clears throat> why do you love me i remember i had fasted for a week and i was on my knees 
And because of the, some of the stuff I'd been involved with and some of the things my mom had done and witchcraft and those kinds of things, I remember as I was on my knees and I said, Lord, why do you love me? And then because I closed my eyes, I could see a, a ring of demons up here and they were screaming at me. There was a ring of them and they were weaving in and out, screaming condemnation and rejection, screeching. <laughs> and then I heard the father speak. I knew it was the Father's voice. How? He's my maker. <laughs> and what was strange, it was directional. <clears throat> it was up and over there. <laughs> and he said, because I want to. And he pointed me at the cross that the only place my heart will find security in his love is at the cross. Not in gifts, not in callings, not in what I can do, but his want to, he sent his son and he came to get me. He came to make me his own because he wanted to. And if God puts his mind to something, you big enough to argue with him? <laughs> I wouldn't want to try to win that argument with him. If you win, you lose. changed my heart but see without that security of knowing that I'm loved that God demonstrated his love for you when you were at your worst possible state when you were a sinner you were an enemy of God your wickedness of heart your heart was deceitfully wicked above all things and who could know how deep it was the light that you had in you was darkness and nobody could tell how deep the darkness was and how deep it went inside now we have an idea because we've been alone with us. We know a little bit about how bad it could get, but you don't even understand the depth that would happen to you and how far you would go if God lifted his hand of restraint off your life. Sometimes, before I was a Christian, I, I wanted to do bad things. It came into my mind and I just wanted to do them. And I knew I shouldn't do them, but I still wanted to do them. And sometimes things would get in the way and I couldn't do it. I'd get mad. But that was God's restraining hand. I'm just looking to see what we have here. Because I remember sitting in the car next to this one guy and it's the first time I'd ever seen anyone shoot up heroin. And I'm like, dude, I want some. And he took the Coke can and he put the heroin in and he took the syringe and he put it in there and began to heat it up. Took the cigarette butt, pulled off the thing, stuck it in there. He said, you gotta be careful. You don't wanna get any of the strands in there. It'll make you sick. And in the mercy of God, he decided he wasn't gonna share it. Hallelujah. It would have killed me, I'm telling you. It's the mercy of God. When I was a little boy, there was a, I got hit by a car and the person picked me up and put me inside his car instead of taking me to school, ran off across town. It was a known pedophile. But the woman behind him saw him do it. And she decided to follow him all the way across town, blaring her horn. 
It's the mercy of God. I would have been dead. But God brings that restraint. The things that could have happened and didn't, the things that you wanted to have happen, and the perversions of a man's heart. When God releases a man to just indulge, it'll ruin him. That is judgment. That is judgment. It isn't the fire of heaven coming down and going, boom, that's not the judgment. The judgment is when God says, fine, here's the light. You've rejected it and you want to go that way. I take my hands off. Go on. That's the most terrifying thing that can happen to any individual. Because if God removes this restraint from you, you will be left with you. You will be left with every wicked desire that comes across your path. And you'll not only do it, want to do it, you'll find yourself in shackles to it. And we think, well, I'll deliver myself when I'm ready. That's the lie of the devil. Because he'll get you trapped. He'll get you stuck. And then that cage will close. And time will run out. See, this is the problem with the fall of man. At the very beginning, when God created humanity, he created it in a good way, a pleasant way, in relationship with him. And from the beginning, when that rebellion came in, it was passed down to every single human being in the world. I've heard people say, why is the world like it is? Well, God didn't make it that way. He made it good. In fact, very good. We screwed it up. And then we have the gall to point at him and say, it's your fault. You made me this way. No, he didn't. We did. (laughs) Take responsibility for it. Because without that responsibility, there won't be any repentance. Are we doing okay? I'm kind of... thing is, I'm aware that for some of you today, this may be the last time you'll get to hear the gospel. And I can't guarantee that you'll get it next Sunday. A friend of mine, he was, Alan Kendrick was his name. He was living down at the Huggard. We used to go down and hang out with him down there. And he'd recently come to faith. He had lived in Gloucester and would wear a trench coat and carry a shotgun underneath it. And Jesus just met with him, kind of a face-to-face thing, and kind of rattled his cage big time. He fled from there, ended up in Cardiff. And he was talking nonsense. People were like, I don't understand what he's talking about. God, angels, hell. So I went down and listened to him and, oh, it's God. And I said, do you want to move out of there? He says, no, I got to stay here and talk to the people that are around me. I thought, man, your heart is just, it was wonderful to see. And I remember the one Sunday night we were in church and I really felt the Holy Spirit say to me at the end, and there's somebody here who needs to share something. And and I said, I said, is anyone here needs it? And Alan gets up from the very back, walks all the way to the front. And it was one of those, it was one of those walkings. It was like, it was slow and determined. And he got up in the front and he goes, he goes, I have to share this. I don't want to. 
He said the other day in the, in the Hoggard Center when I was down there, was playing chess with someone. And as we're playing chess, this guy came over. I'm trying to remember if it was a guy or a girl and it may have been a girl. I can't remember, I'm sorry. Came over and said, oh, you're a Christian, aren't you? Can you tell me about, and he turns on and looks and then she goes or he goes, oh, I see you're playing a game of chess. Well, I don't want to disturb you. Maybe later. And for a split second, he had that thought, do I, and I'm in a game, do I, and, and he continued his game. This is true now. Because there was a bad batch of, I think it was either heroin or one of the speed drug that was going around a few years back, back in there. 97, 98. And that same girl injected up outside and never saw the light of day again. His heart broke. Stupid game. Stupid game. For some people, I'm telling you, some of us have got to hear the gospel again and again and again and again. Some people haven't heard it at all. Some of you get one shot. That's not my decision, that's his. See, the fall of man so ruined us. It made us a people who were resistant to the truth. Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. I'm just going to put a couple of these up just to help you get the idea of it. That when the fall came, this is the effect that it had on us. It is written, there is none righteous, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who... See, I find this verse actually very very telling of, of the church's condition in our day. Because so many people say, oh, we'll have a seeker-friendly service. My Bible says they don't. The Bible says, go, <laughs> compel them. No one seeks God. Now, please, well, I sought God and he healed me. That's what you were seeking. I sought God and he answered my prayer. That's what you were seeking. In the natural, no one seeks God. It has to be a divine rescue plan. It has to be not only that Christ died, was buried, and rose again, but for you personally, there has to be a divine rescue plan to get you out of your mess because you can't. The pit's too deep. Yeah. And you think, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Listen, you can be in prison and have all the nice stuff around you, but you're still in a cage. Everybody wants to be top dog. Even when you are, what are you? You're still a dog. Well, I got one here who's cheerleading. But see, this, these are the lies that are presented, isn't it? You got to get to the top of the ladder. And you find up it's against the wrong wall. It's a rat race, right? So what if you're leading in the rat race? What are you? Still a rat. 
And you are made for more. You are made for more. But there's a resistance to the truth. Do you know in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, it's chapter 1, uh, 2, and 3, six times it says that men and women think that what God has done is foolish, that the gospel is foolish, that the things of the Spirit are foolish, that the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. There's a blindness that has affected all humanity. It's like blind men groping around at noonday, not knowing where to go, saying, here, follow me. I'll lead you into a ditch where I'm going. And all the while, the world is telling you, just get a bit more. Drink a bit more. Sniff a bit more. Love a bit more. It makes you harder and harder and darker and darker. The Bible says that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. The systems that are around you are designed intently to lead you away from God. All of it. It's designed specifically to take you away. There's spiritual blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The God of this age, whose minds, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It's designed to pull the wool over your eyes. That's his intent. Why? He doesn't want you to believe. He wants you to be satisfied with everything else but Christ. Even in the miraculous, there were 10 who came to Jesus for healing, and he heals all 10. And they go off, and only one comes back and worships. They were happy with the healing, but they didn't want the healer. But this is the condition of all humanity in their natural state. All that happened is passed down to us. I'm sorry we've inherited such a world. It wasn't God's intent. It wasn't what he wanted, but we've inherited it. We've inherited from our parents empty traditions. Whether they're religious or they're secular or they're pagan makes no difference. We've inherited from them. And the whole system's designed to keep you blind. The influence of the world. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 2. Paul says that in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works where? In the sons of dis- He's talking about satanic influence. He said, I don't see it that way. It doesn't matter whether you can see it when you're blind, you can't get mad that you can't see the sunrise. It's the blindness. Every single person 
say, was I that bad, pastor? It's not my judgment, it's God's. And I think he's smarter than you and me. And he says, that's your condition. It's extreme. You talk about terminal velocity. Straight to hell. Under the judgment of God, having rejected his love, what's left? But this is man's natural state. Paul says, we all were that way. He says, I was that way too until. See, the problem is, is that we live in a world that's set up in a particular way to point you away from. It, the lies that we see in the media are constant. We're getting to the point now, how many of you guys even watch the news anymore? Why? Because you look at it and go, I don't even know who's telling me the truth anymore. The Bible says all have sinned. All. Fallen short of the glory of God. Say, well, I haven't been like that other person. Listen, it's not a scale of whether you're better or not. The only person you'll be compared against is God himself. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. His heaven is holy. His house is holy. His spirit is holy. His son is holy. His people are holy. You know, not only is the whole world set up this way and the blindness is there, and, but do you know that people get ticked off when you try to get out? Peter says it that way. It's, I find it interesting. He's, he's, quite, he's quite clear in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4. He just kind of mentions it while he's talking to them about their lifestyle and not living that way anymore. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 3 and 4. I, actually, let's go back to verse 2 that... He should no longer live as the rest, pardon me, no, verse 3, yeah. We have spent enough time, enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles, that's the nations, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties. You're thinking, Peter, do you live in Cardiff? and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. <laughs> so when you're like, something's shifting, they're like, no, don't leave us! Yeah. We don't want to go to hell alone. Come with us! Oh, let the hammer come down, Lord, and break the rock in Jesus' name. What's at stake? Everything. I'm telling you, this is the way the whole world is. Even a lot of the church nowadays. Where you have people in same-sex marriages that are preachers. God forbid, that's an abomination. It's not naturally. I know they say it's natural. I've never seen two men reproduce. It's not natural. It's not God's design. People saying that it's okay in church to do this, that, and the other thing. 
Oh, I'm not under law, so I can do whatever I want. No, that's license. Then you fall off the cliff on the other way. Blindness. The thing is, is that the only way you can get out You need someone else to rescue you. And I know just the person. If you came this morning for a pep talk, I'm sorry. But I'll tell you the truth. And the truth will make you free. See, Jesus came and he came down from heaven. He, his birth wasn't the beginning of his existence. He's eternal God. God was in Christ. Uh, the Godhead dwelt bodily. Divinity, an absolute divine person who was the creator of all things, and without him, nothing was made that was made. He is the, he is the origin, the Alpha and the Omega, and he became a man. He became a baby. God in flesh. I love that Christmas song. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. And he came. He's the only one that can forgive sin. He's the only one that can, can heal your life uh, forever. <laughs> He's the only one that has the power to give life and raise the dead and that to give it in such a way that they never die again. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He gave his life. Oh, we're back at the cross. And God demonstrated his love for you. He endured and despised the cross. He went through it on your behalf. He suffered and died for what wasn't his. Your sin was laid on him. Your wickedness, your perversion, your rebellion, the darkness of your heart he had to wear. Because it was the only means by which it could be taken away. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, He's your only hope, but He is your hope. And He's the one that died. And all that would separate you from God, he pays it out of the way with his life, with his obedience, and with his sacrifice. He pays it out of the way so that he can give as a gift acceptance, righteousness, acceptance with God, forgiveness, life, belonging, everything that we truly need whether we know it or not. He's the one that pulls you out of the pit and sets you high on the rock that's him and says nothing now can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. 
No one can take you out of my hand. No one can take you out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Oh, what a transformation that happens. He takes you out and he cleanses you. He gives you a new heart and puts a new spirit in you. He writes his laws on your heart. How do you know when someone's come through? Because they go in obedience. There's a transformation in them that they want to walk with God. If, if so I'm still rebelling against God, then you need to be born again. Then you need to be saved. You need to run to him. His holiness delivers me from all that I'm not to be. Oh, Lord, help us with this. We sang it all morning long. Isaiah stood in the presence of God and heard, holy, 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 and his sin became so clear, but it was in that presence that that's where the purity came because of the coal, which is a picture of Christ, was touching his lips, and he says, your sin has been purged. It's in the holy presence of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll set you free from all that you were so that you can walk with him that's why when someone comes to him god having raised jesus from the dead he was buried after being crucified they took the spear and they put it into his side it pierced the pericardial sac around his heart and blood and water came out they took him down off the cross and wrapped him up and stuck him in a borrowed tomb i was thinking about that why a borrowed tomb can you imagine the converse to Joseph? I'm going to need to borrow your tomb. Don't worry, I won't need it long. <laughs> and he was buried. He took all your sin with him into the tomb. All the death, all the disease, the destruction, everything that would stop you from being raised up and perfect before the Father, he takes upon himself and takes it into the tomb. And he leaves it there. On the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. He was raised up for your justification, for your acceptance. He was raised up so you could be declared a child of God through faith in Christ. And God loves his kids, hallelujah. He loves his kids and he'll never, I, I, someone was telling me that they saw that, uh, that movie, I would encourage you to go see it, The Sound of Freedom. If you've seen it, there's a line in there, he says, God's kids aren't for sale. Oh, hallelujah. And he says, you're mine, you're mine. And not for sale. Jesus raised up from the dead. Now, now the thing is this, that's already happened in history. And so God, even by you being here today, I'm telling you, is that God is seeking for you. Jesus is seeking to save that which was lost. And you think I'm here because of, I'm here because of, well, whatever your idea is, there's a way that seems right to a man. In the end for them, it leads to destruction. But when God intervenes, it's somehow in the heart, he'll move a man's heart. He'll move a woman's mind. He'll, he'll bring them to this point. And it's basically behind the scenes, he's going, come here, come home. 
Come back to me. You're mine. I bought you with the blood of my son so that you could belong and not be rejected. If God is for you, lots of people, but it won't change his mind because it's his court, it's his house. And if he washes you clean, then you're clean. If he saves you, then you're saved. If he makes you to belong to him, then you... And nobody has anything that they can say that's going to change his mind. Jesus, risen from the dead at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you as your representative. The Spirit of God sealing you for the day of redemption when Jesus comes back. You can be filled with all the fullness of God. When you give yourself to him and you say, Jesus, I believe you. God raised you from the dead, I believe. It's not a prayer that saves, it's faith. <laughs> I believe you, God, you said it, I believe it. That settles it. I believe you, it's a revelation that comes. It's like, wow, the pennies dropped. Jesus, you're raised from the dead, I understand it, I see it, I believe you. Now hear me, there are some people who believe but won't surrender. I've seen it. I've seen people come in here. Uh, one lady, she came in. I never said this before. She came in. I'm trying to remember how many demons that woman had. Was it eight? I remember she stood in there. It was when we had little couches in there and the wood was there. She was sitting and we were all praying for her. And uh, there's just some lady's name and then a deaf and dumb spirit. And one time she got up and she goes, I am the son of God. You're like, no, you're not. Sit down. She got free and completely healed. She had osteoarthritis walking around a cane. She, I remember she stood in and she went, she put her hands and palms on the floor. And I'm like, wow, I can't even do that. We got her back home and I said, I said to Claire, I said, I don't think she's completely free. Something, something's still uneasy in my spirit. We got in the house. She's a ductable lady, about this big. About that big? Smaller than Claire. So maybe that big. I don't remember. She turns around effing and blinded and reached for my throat. And out of me came a voice that wasn't mine. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. And it rose up out of me. That was the spirit of God in my inner man. And she flew across the room and she hit that bed and she was like, Poom. I grabbed Claire. I said, we're out of here. <laughs> but she was free. It took her the next week. She was in uh, Whitchurch at the time. She came off all the drugs that she had been on. She had been drinking a, a liter of vodka every day. She came out completely healed, completely of sound mind. Relationships, Relationships began to get restored. She got rid of the pot um, uh, farm that was in her attic that her sons had had, the marijuana farm that was up there. She lost her disability car. And then she got mad said, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. It had nothing to do with the power. It had nothing to do with the truth. You know what it had to do with? Her heart. I find that strange. I understand if someone ended up in hell not knowing. Please hear me. That's not good. 
There is a witness that God has given even in creation, but when you know it, and you're like, I don't care, I'm going there. That's something wrong. You need to be free. Set them free, Lord. Set them free, Lord. So I'm just young makes no difference you're accountable for your own life the Bible says that if you believe that he rose raised Jesus from the dead and then you surrender with a confession that says you're Lord I'm not in charge anymore I'm following you he says in that he'll save you I remember this story and I'll finish with that this morning. I was at Bible College in Swansea and one of my lecturers told me this story. He was a pastor in the area. A lady in the area had disappeared and the police were looking for her. They thought she might have been murdered is what it was. And so he was helping to help find this lady and in the Swansea area and where they were doing the search, there's the moors out there, which is very sloppy and very, it's very wet. And, and if you go out there and you don't know where you're going and you step in the wrong spot, that mud's going to suck you in. And he's walking around out, that was his place. He's looking around out there and two things happened. Fog began to come in and the tide began to come in. And the fog had overtaken him and he didn't know which way to go. And he had a limited amount of time because the tide was now coming in. What would happen? He takes one wrong step or he goes over here. He thinks it's the right way, but then all of a sudden he gets sucked in. He remembers a, a hymn they would sing in church. It came to his mind. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to him. And he says, put, and, and, and the, 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 the phrase that came to his mind was, put your foot or your feet in the feet of Jesus. So this rises in his heart and it comes to mind. You know, he's pleading, Lord, I don't know where to go. And then here's the answer. And he just looks down. And to his amazement, on the mud, there is a bare footprint. There's not like a bare, but like a footprint of somebody who had no shoes on. And it's right in front of him. So what do you think he does? Makes sense, doesn't it? God gives you a way out. Do you think you ought to take it? Yes. Jesus is that way out. He put his foot in there and then he sees another one. So he puts his foot there. Another one. What would happen if at some point he just decided, well, I don't know, I'll do it my way? He would have died. Simple as it goes. There's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. But instead, he was wise. <laughs> he feared the Lord, and he did what he was supposed to. He put his foot, he obeyed the command he was given, and he put his foot there, and it led him all the way out. True story now. And Jesus is your only way out. The pit that you're in, the only way he can get you out of, the only way you can get out of it is he's got to get you out. So the plea is, please hear me, the plea isn't, pastor, save me. I, I can't save you. The plea is, Jesus, save me. Yeah. 
Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, you save me, you rescue me, because I know if you rescue me, I'll be rescued. If you heal me, I'm healed. If you change my life, I'm changed. My trust is in you. You're my only hope, Lord. And a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. Those who come to him like that, he'll not turn them away. By his righteous right arm, it's long enough to save even the most desperate of us. And he'll fill you with the fullness of God. Let's pray. This morning I, I, I know that there are those here. Maybe you were raised in church, maybe not. Maybe you've lived a fairly normal life. Maybe it's been hell and back. No matter what your pit. Jesus is the only Savior. He's the only mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And today you can call out to him, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, heal my life. Make me the person I should be, the person you intend me to be. Forgive me and make me clean. I believe you, Lord. You're risen from the dead. Jesus, be Lord of me. Oh, let that be the cry of your heart this morning. Let that be the voice on your lips this morning. Come to him. Come to him. Now is that accepted time. Whatever has been, come now. Surrender your life to him. And let him save you completely. That you can owe the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And to be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.